fed up being told us there's only British or Irish. Fed up with Union Jacks and tricolours. Fed up listening to the same old shit from the same old talking heads. Well, welcome to the show where Ulster is Ulster. Welcome to the show where we fly the red hand with pride. This is Alternative Ulster. So welcome to another episode of Alternative Ulster. We're bang up to date now. This is episode number five. So as the episodes go out from here on, they will be relatively close to the release date, date uh, the release um, date as the recording date. Uh, I'm joined once again by Dan McLaughlin over in Manchester. How's it going, Dan? I'm all right, mate. I'm actually not in Manchester today. I'm back in my hometown of Ozzle Twizzle. So it's me, the dog, and a couple of ciders here. That's that's right. That's right. Um, so happy days. Well, I've got a couple of Guinness myself. So we'll uh, we'll do the usual. We'll get stuck in. We'll have a good old chat about uh, what's been written. So my most recent piece was written on twenty first of June this year, and it's called Ulster versus the Rainbow Empire. Last week, I turned on the TV to watch the football. I'd got the time wrong and was subjected to the BBC News at one instead. It's worth seeing what your enemies are at sometimes, so I left it on. Towards the end of the building, I was surprised to see that Edwin Putz had resigned as DUP leader. I went on to Belfast Live to get a more complete insight of the story. Now, I've been avoiding the news the last week or so, so I had to read up on the full background of it. What surprised me most was what was going on around the Irish Language Act. Sinn Féin weren't happy at Edwin Putz's assurances on delivering the act, so they went to the UK Secretary of State instead to have it pushed through in Westminster. The Shinners, may I remind you, are the party that won't take their seats in Westminster because they see it as an illegitimate body in the governance of Ulster. But they were happy to cry to the UK government when they weren't getting their way. Hypocrisy hanging right out of them. If an Irish language act is passed, I wouldn't care. We speak Irish here on a daily basis anyway. You go to England and you'll not see the same place names as we have here because they come from an anglicised version of the Irish names and I like them. It gives a sense of what those places are. For example, if you see Liss in a place name, it usually means there's a Rath or Ferry Fort nearby. Even in everyday speech, Irish is there. Look at the word crack. We all know what it means here, but you can't really explain it to someone from outside of Ireland in the same way you know the proper way to use it if you're from Ireland. Or there's words that look like the English, like like mocker for mate. That word's suspiciously similar to the Irish mokara, meaning my friend. Regardless of that, the Shinners are hypocrites, and their actions show they are far more closely allied with the British government than Unionists and Loyalists are. This has nothing to do with Britishness or Irishness. It's because the Shinners and the British establishment are both members of the Rainbow Empire. What is the Rainbow Empire? I'm sure you can work it out. Nations not only need shared values, but shared flags and symbols. The flag of the Rainbow Empire is the rainbow flag. The rainbow flag initially represented gay, lesbian and bisexual people. Then it was widened to include trans people. During the lockdowns, it was widened to include lockdown policies and those who supported them. Most recently, it has been widened to include Black Lives Matter and its supporters. The Rainbow Empire is, a, is cult-like in its approach to members and non-members. 
you can hold similar views, but if your views don't go far enough, or if you don't fully conform, you're a non-believer and not accepted or cancelled. You can be broadly accepting of other cultures, but if you think Black Lives Matter as an organisation is anti-white, you're racist. You can be accepting for people to be free to pr practice whatever sexualities they like, but if you can't be arsed with yet another corporatized pride event, you're a homophobe. You can be all up for women being free to pursue whatever sort of career or lifestyle they want, but if you point out differences in men and women, you're a sexist. You can acknowledge that people are free to wear face masks to make them feel safer while in public, but if you have a reason not to wear one yourself, you're a right-wing Nazi. These are beliefs held by members of the Rainbow Empire. Another one is climate change. The Rainbow Empire believes climate change is man-made because of carbon dioxide emissions. Surely it's more a matter of habitat destruction. There's been huge deforestation for the production of things like soy and cocaine. The forests are the planet's lungs. Reduce them and you reduce the amount of carbon dioxide the planet can handle. But it's more effective to instill a sense of guilt in people for driving their cars too much than to admit the Rainbow Empire's corporate allies chopped down too many trees. The Shinners, the SDLP, the Alliance and all the non-unionist fringe parties in Northern Ireland share the values of the Rainbow Empire. The UUP are fairly in on the Rainbow Empire's values too. They've been implementing their policies throughout the lockdown and the lockdown policies are currently among the top for that empire. Putz's proposed executive team were highly sceptical of lockdown policies. Listening to Nolan today, it seems Jeffrey Donaldson would be Putz's replacement. And as things have been moving quite quickly, we can see that is definitely going to happen now. Will Jeffrey Donaldson be more accommodating on the Rainbow Empire's lockdown policies than Putz? Nolan was insane this morning. He's been reporting on another statement made by the Loyalist Communities Council that Irish officials will no longer be welcome in Northern Ireland. Nolan made the point, surely then Boris Johnson's officials shouldn't be welcome here too. There was a rally in Newton Ards last week where Loyalists and Unionists protested the Northern Ireland Protocol. I still wonder why Unionists and Loyalists cling on to a body that constantly betrays them. No loyalty shown, no loyalty given. And the British establishment has shown time and time again it'll side with the enemies of Loyalists and Unionists over Loyalists and Unionists themselves. Anyway, it's not a British-Irish problem anymore. The enemy is the Rainbow Empire. They are the biggest threat to Ulster's autonomy. They are the ones that Ulster needs to be shouting no surrender at. So that's the latest piece. Well, Jamie, it's very kind of you to invite me on the podcast again as a member of the Rainbow Empire, probably. Um, well, this is the thing. I thought this one would be a bit spicy, Don, because I know that uh, there are certain things that um, you would you would be on board on that sort of thing with. It's it's interesting because the, there is when it comes to you, you mentioned in particular the commercialized version of pride that sits uneasy with me. I feel uneasy. That you get, so say I usually live around Manchester and Salford. When it's Manchester Prides in August, there will be parades and floats with banks, and even Greater Manchester Police on um, parades floats. Whereas 
that kind of goes against what Pride is meant to be about. Pride is meant to be a protest. It's meant to be a visible political act. It's not meant to be this McDonald's version of the LGBTQ community, you know. Uh, so I do yeah. sit uneasy with that. However, I, I, I think when we talk about the rain, when you talk about the Rainbow Empire, it's not necessarily the LGBT community that has been wanting to build this Rainbow Empire. I think it's almost no. a, it's a straight person's attempt or a straight person's sanitization of the queer community, which is resulting in the McDonald's of queers, essentially. And when I say queers, it's a term now that we have uh, reclaimed. Um, it's Because it gets to the point when you're trying to say LGBT, that it's LGBTQ, LGBTQIA+. And it's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And listen, I completely understand where you're coming from. And my, my, my gripe with all this isn't against you know, LGBT or whatever, whatever the label is, you know, like, I don't even care what label people want to put on themselves, whatever, whatever, you know, people can be free to, to do whatever they want. It's the corporatization of the whole thing. It's, it's more that these massive, unaccountable corporate entities who are infringing more and more often on our lives are co-opting these symbols so that they can push their own agenda, which is basically power and domination for their own sake. So th this is the thing. It's because these all these symbols were, uh, you know, like trendy and popular and part of fringe movements and stuff. And fringe movements, by their nature, are, are pretty cool because you know you don't people don't don't necessarily you know if it's part of the mainstream, it's not really that cool. But if it's part if it's a fringe thing, then it is cool. You know, that's just the nature of these things. So the fact that these entities have, have co-opted these symbols has, has made them more mainstream and they're then using these things for their own, their own game, their own gain. And uh, I mean, it's a lot of it as well is the, the politicization of compassion, you know, and I don't think that, that that's right either. Um, but yeah, it's like I say, I have nothing, nothing against those, uh, those, you know, those people, those communities, whatever, whatever way you want to say it, like, but it's more how the symbols are being used now, and you can see, especially, you know, whenever you, whenever you bring things like lockdowns into it as well, like, everyone had a picture of a rainbow up in their living room window during the first lockdown. Whenever people were still sort of on board with oh yeah this is something that's like a really deadly virus and we need to do something about it so and that was a global policy now you can call the, the rainbow empire you know there's loads of other th things people call the rainbow empire they'll call it like the shadow government or you know world economic forum or bilderberg group or what you know g7 whatever whatever it is you know all these different groups are all part of it I just like to put a, a slightly more colourful label on things, you know? <laughs> colourful in the literal sense. Um, yeah, exactly. And you're absolutely right. The mainstream has commodified what should be a political symbol or a symbol of unity within a community. The, the, the rainbow flag itself came from the 70s and it was from a Los Angeles uh, Pride event 
and someone was asked to design a flag and it happened to be the rainbow flag. But before that, and I think this is a symbol that the gay community or the, the queer community should reclaim and go back to, is the gay lib movement was represented by a pink triangle. And the pink tri triangle came from the concentration camps because obviously um, when, it, when it was the Holocaust... Uh, Jewish people um, were identified by the by the story of David. Uh, communists um, were identified by a red triangle, but gay and lesbian people and trans people were identified as a pink, uh, pink triangle. And I think that's more powerful yeah. as a reminder, and as and yeah. Well, whatever symbol it's going to be, I mean, realistically, I think that what the LGBT community should be doing is saying, fuck you, you're not using our symbol anymore. You know, that's what, what should be happening. And it is, it's it's more, again, it's more part of this notion that it's part of like the art and the science of nation building, that you need a flag. And this is like the new global flag, you know. Um, so, you know, if, if LGBTQ um, community, you know, is happy for that flag to be co-opted dead on. Maybe they're not going to have a choice in the matter and, you know, they are going to have to take on a, a different symbol or an older symbol, you know, um, possibly that too. But it just it just goes to show. And also you can see how people, there are certain values that people unite around as well. Not necessarily stuff, you know, in, you know to do with pride or whatever other wider values as well to do with face masks to do with um you know like i mentioned about like black lives matter and stuff same with climate change and, and things like that like climate change is it's unquestionable to talk about the amount of co2 being produced but there are other factors that should be included in the climate debate which is corporate factors you know what i mean like it's not normal people that go down and chop down well, it is, it is normal people, they go and make the money. That You know, they have to make their money. But at the same time, they don't, they don't go out there and think, oh, fuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a cocaine plantation here. You know? You know, there's going to be some other... Uh, there's going to be a bigger um, organisation at work that's chopping down the rainforests on a massive scale. It, it's, I think you, you made a really good point earlier about sort of um, how... Uh, compassion is kind of fashionable in politics now and you, you're absolutely right um, around Pride Month which is June um, the, there's a thing called the Pink Pound and the Pink Pound is basically trying to get as much money as you can from gay, lesbian trans people because it's fashionable because it's, it's the time where you can fleece these people with uh, commercialization, and when you use the term Rainbow Empire, I think there is a pink pound of the Rainbow Empire, and that's not that's not just the queer community, but like you said, it's climate change activists, it's other sort of uh, political activists, and oh yeah, and a lot of these people are anti-capitalism or purport to be anti-capitalism, but fall into the traps of capitalism. Because there is someone there to exploit this so-called rainbow empire, and that's yeah. Well, I, I think that we're moving beyond. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. What were you saying? 
I think it's profiteering off this politics of compassion. I, completely, completely. But I think that we've actually moved beyond capitalism now. We're, we're in corporatism because a lot of the, you know, you look at like, um, you know, say, for example, within media, you know, you've got these big tech giants, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you know, like I, I'm, you, you know, I put these broadcasts out. These broadcasts that we're doing are going out on, on a lot of these platforms. But like, I'm pretty sure that this show has been shadow banned. Not, I mean, just from speaking to friends and stuff, I don't think it's for any sort of nefarious reason because it's not big enough. I think it's more to do the algorithms pick up that we swear about in this show. But, you know, if you say something that's not in line with the values that's held, then you're cancelled, you know? And, like, I just, there was a, a something I saw today where there was um, the the one of the... A, a member of Mumford & Sons had tweeted something about reading... Uh, reading a guy who was critical of like far left policies and his band you know other members of the band were getting a load of hate for this so he says you know what it is like fuck this I'm, I'm you know I'm just going to leave I'm, it's not worth all the hassle anymore so whenever you have that much vitriol like, for any sort of speaking against any of these policies then there are consequences for that and like you know, I, I always was of the belief that you let people have their opinion. You don't cancel them or whatever. But if you let them, you know, if you let them have their opinion, chances are they're going to make a dick out of themselves anyway if they are a dick. And people will see through them and then they'll not get any, you know, they'll not get the, the attention after that. Or maybe, you know, they'll have this small fringe group that's not like a cool fringe group. That's like the fringe group that no one wants to fucking associate with. So... That, that's always been the way I've seen it. Whereas this whole uh, idea of, oh, fuck, you can't say that because that's actually dangerous to what we're about, you know? And it, it's there's, it's so much more nefarious now with the lack of democratic accountability, you know? Like, is there, re ever, is there really, any, like in England, for example, or in Britain, UK, is there really any difference between the UK Labour Party and the UK Conservative Party? based on the, the, the policies that they implement? Pro probably not at the moment. Probably not at the moment at all. It, the, the, there were bigger differences when there was different leadership, but it, it's certainly more similar now. I, I think it's interesting you, you brought up the, the Month and the Sons. It was the banjo player. I think he was called Winston something. I, I read the article that he, he wrote um, last night. It's a very intelligent, eloquently put article, and I'm... I'd recommend anyone to, 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 to read it. Now, I, I think when it comes to this so-called cancel culture, that I, I don't think people are protesting him. Um, he's, he's not left the band because it's a free speech thing. He's left the band because he's damaged the brand and they're going to lose money from it. And I think it's the same when it comes to corporations if they say something that's out of turn, it's not a free speech issue, it's a money issue. And it would, and it would, for instance, if a corporation doesn't put the rainbow flag on their um, logos for a month, uh, they will be attacked and they will lose money from it. So it's not a free speech issue, it's a branding and money issue. 
Um, well, you say that, but I think it's more about values. And uh, like, I do think there's something pretty dark going on that, you know, this is the thing with like, you know, I, I call it the shadow government as well. And this is the thing about shadows. You can't identify things exactly by its shadow, but you can tell it's there. You know what I mean? So there is definitely a sense of values that's be, that that there is being united around and i think there's something darker going on you know i do think that there's something about like the feminization of society uh getting rid of masculine values and things like that and i'll give you an example like you said you said it was about money and i think a lot of it is about money but i think it's more about control than about money so i can't remember exactly how long ago now it was maybe two, three years ago, perhaps, and there was that Gillette advert that came out, and I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about already, the one where there were, it was Gillette was basically shaming men over toxic masculinity, right? Now, whatever you want to say about toxic masculinity, yeah, there's there's uh, traits that aren't necessarily um, as acceptable in the modern day to have but whether they're toxic or not it's a different story or and whether or not they have it have their place is a different story but Gillette made this advert about you know like toxic masculinity and everyone basically stopped buying Gillette after that you know like their the, the, the their sales took a massive hit I'm pretty sure that the one of the, some executive from Gillette anyway said yeah well we have no regrets over doing that so there's a thing about values. Like, why is Boris Johnson getting up at G7 and going, oh yeah, we're going to build back better, which is the fucking, the statement that they all use. We're going to build back better and we're going to build back more feminine. Like, what the fuck's that supposed to mean? You know? The, the thing is that with the Johnson thing from the G7, that was a shambolic Johnson conference where he was just, he, I know Johnson can be nefarious himself and the whole clown uh, buffoonery. It makes him like a Woodhousean creation, but it's something more sinister about it. But I think that G7 um, interview he did, that pre- he was just being a dick, and he didn't know what to say, and he he almost became a bit more, more like Joe Biden, with some gaff, with some stumbling over his words, you know. It was just... John- you see, I think, I think that Biden's the same. You know, I think that Biden as well, a lot of it's put on. I don't think he's as senile as he's led on to be. Like, I think he's actually pretty clued in. He knows what's going on. And I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing with Johnson too. And it's the same thing with all of them. You know, the politicians, because there's no difference between them, they aren't the ones in control anymore. There's someone else that's playing them. And I know that's something that people have believed for a long time. And I know you had lobbyists and things like that. But it's something that's much deeper these days. And, you know, this is something that I, I was talking about, you know, getting back to uh, some more local stuff in the article. You know, you have Sinn Féin who, are, who have changed their stance on a lot of things. Like we talked about this before, about, about the, you know, how, the, how they've changed their stance on, uh, you know, like gay issues and stuff. And, like, the Shinners, because they have adopted these rainbow empire policies that the conservative party have adopted and that the labor party as well are 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 all into over in the uk because they were able to go to do that they were able then to get 
their Irish la- Irish language act p- pushed through in Stormont. And like Putz was on, he puts an interview, I think it was um, maybe Wednesday or something through this week. It was recently anyway, you know, he did an interview uh, with Stephen Nolan. And Nolan said that, or Putz said that whenever he spoke to the Secretary of State about this, Secretary of State said, yeah, well, this is coming straight from number 10 that we can do this. So that was going straight to the top. Like, that wasn't just like the Secretary of State giving some assurance. You know, that was going straight to the top. And they've already pushed through other policies that the Shinners have been quite happy to have pushed through. You know, the likes of abortion stuff, same-sex marriage. You know, I I was on your show, Dan. You know, you probably remember a while ago talking about the abortion thing. I have no problem with abortion. Well, I don't necessarily support abortion myself, but I think that every woman should be able to choose what what she wants to do, you know, and that's it. Like, but... I don't think that it should be done in the way that it's done. Like, there's an assembly that sits here. I know that it doesn't have much power compared to other um, legislative bodies that are above it. But at the same time, it sits here to decide on things like that. And these things shouldn't be pushed through. And the fact that they are pushed through and that they're against what the natural allies of the UK government would be saying shows that the UK government is in cahoots with who the old enemy of the UK government was. So it shows that there's been a shift and there's a change and that there's a pocket of people here that whether or not they agree with, I mean, like we, again, we talked about this stuff, you know, people here broadly are in support of same-sex marriage anyway. It's just that the DUP aren't, you know, so, but it shows that there's a pocket here that are against these global, this this new global power structure that's emerging. It's um just a very quick point. Uh, what you were saying about the abortion issues, just because you are pro-choice doesn't mean you have to be pro-abortion. You're just pro-choice. Um, you know, I I I support the abortion laws as they as they are. I think. Um, there were years of cruelty for Irish women not being able to get them, but like I say, just because you're pro-choice, cho- you know, for a woman to choose what happens to her body, does not necessarily mean you have to be pro-abortion too. Um, in terms of Sinn Fein and the old enemy and all that lot, we, I, I think I've made this point previously on the podcast. Is there um, somewhat? enthusiastic embracing of LGBT rights just seems inauthentic. It's there to purely piss off the DUP. It's purely a tactical thing. And I think this is the point you'd be making in the the, um, blog, in the article that you did write, is there seems to be a lack of authenticity from Sinn Féin. The the fact is that they're willing to compromise um, working with the British government, even though seemingly incompatible with the British government and as you said as well you know they, they refuse to take Westminster seats but they then work with Westminster it, 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 it's it's confusing to say the least but what I will say what I will say if you are on that side you will employ tactics that maybe are not considered authentic but they are effective and it seems to be working. 
as, as a former political manoeuvrer yourself, surely you would try to use everything in your arsenal, even if it might betray certain points of view that, um, that the overall ideology and the party would have. Well, um, from that side of things, it was it, I'd be more, uh, you know, I've always, even whenever I was involved in politics, it was more just let people do what they want to do and stop getting involved. You know, that was always my sort of approach, which is why I can be someone who doesn't necessarily support abortion, but supports a woman, a woman's right to choose. You know what I mean? So like, and you know, getting back to that point, yeah, like it, it was something that was a big problem because it wasn't stopping here. It didn't stop women from getting abortions. It just meant they had to pay, pay an extra 200 quid to get a flight to Liverpool or whatever, you know, or however much it was. So that that was the problem, you know, women were still getting abortions. But why would why would you expect them then to have to go through that extra hassle, you know what I mean? Um but yeah, like the the, the shinners they I am very cynical about Sinn Féin. You, you know how I am with the Sinners. Like, they did what they had to do to get into power. And now that they're there, they're very astute at understanding which way the wind's blowing. So they'll say whatever they've got to say to stay in power. So, like, I, I, I have much more respect for the parties that, that stick true to their own beliefs rather than a party that'll just say or do what it takes to you know, for their own gain. Um, but yeah, like, um, yeah, they're, they're bloody hypocrites. They, they, they are hypocrites, but um, I, I, as, I, as you know, uh, the, the ideology of the DUP is completely, uh, um, what's the word, abhorrent to my political ideology. So my, have some sympathy, but then again, I can't say I'm sympathetic of Sinn Féin either. I mean, it's, it's interesting what's happened with Putin. So obviously, you said you, you watched the news coverage of it, but I, I want to hear your perspective on it just personally. Um, and, and someone who has yourself um, been behind the scenes in politics, there must be some backstabbing there. Isn't it just fascinating and almost entertaining to watch? Or... Is it horrific yeah. at the same time? Well, you know, as someone who doesn't support the DUP, whatever the DUP does, like it, I mean, it's all just entertainment anyway. I did, I was a wee bit disappointed. Um, there's a fella, Paul Frew, who spoke very, very well against the lockdowns. Um, I, I did a video around Christmas time, and Paul Frew was, you know, he, he was uh, someone that I used a lot of his statements from the assembly with. So he'd been given the role of the economy minister. Um, now, I don't think he was installed. I'm not sure if he did get installed or not. I know that Paul Gibbon was installed as the first minister who worked in uh, Putz's office in Lisbon with him. Ironically, Jeffrey Donaldson works in that office too. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're they Lagan Valley, that's their constituency. Um, and whenever I was in politics, that was the constituency that I worked, worked out of as well. So I understand how they operate politically, more so puts than Donaldson, because Donaldson was always Westminster. Um, like he, that was, he, he was, he held that seat from whenever he was an Ulster Unionist MP. 
and he took that seat to the DUP because he was just that popular as an individual within the constituency, even though his, his majority has tumbled quite a lot in recent years, it's still a pretty good majority. It's like 6,000 or something. So it's still a pretty good majority. Um, puts, uh, like I did have to laugh at the interview that he did because it was all very, um, you know, it was sort of like, oh yes, Mr. Nolan, I'm a very humble man and I accept everything that's happened and, and all this here. Um, but I remember he was, he was pretty ruthless, like whenever he was, Whenever he, he, he whenever I um was sort of not personally against him, like, but whenever he was working in the constituency, I do remember he was pretty ruthless about things, like. So from the come out and be Mister Humble on Nolan, I thought it was quite funny. Um. How how things will go from here? It's hard to say. Like it doesn't seem like there's very much between Putz and Donaldson. Um, Donaldson has, you know, the interview said that the, the big beasts of the DUP came in and decided things, and that included the likes of Sammy Wilson and stuff. I know Sammy Wilson was very skeptical of the lockdown policies too, so we'll see how that goes. I don't think there'll be too much difference in terms of, how, of the DUP itself. If anything, they'll get a bit of a boost in the polls because Donaldson's more appealing to, um, people who, who might be looking to put their votes elsewhere than Putz is. He's not as hard line with his religious beliefs. But everything else he's pretty, you know, he's pretty similar on. So I don't see much change, really. You you, you know, you, you were saying in, in, in the article that, um, that people, parties like Sinn Féin have um, sort of linked up with the establishment, even though it's uh, contrary to, to what, be the basic ideology with someone like Donson who has been Westminster MP is, doesn't that make the DUP now closer to the Westminster establishment because you've got someone from the establishment over the party um, compared to someone like Poots mm, that's, that is an interesting angle on it he may Donaldson may bring a bit more of that with him um Especially because he was there with the confidence and supply agreement that that happened under the, under Theresa May's government, um, I'm not I don't know if that'll really come across too much more because Boris Johnson basically cleared out Theresa May's government and brought in a you know yes men into into his own government. So I don't know if there'll be too much comes across from there. He might understand Westminster a bit more, but. Donaldson's already said that he's going to give up his Westminster seat and that he's going to um, take a seat up in the Assembly instead so that he can lead the DUP from the Northern Ireland Assembly. And he's also said that if the if the protocol isn't done away with, he's willing to bring down Stormont. And that's something that Putz had said he wasn't going to do. In Putz's interview, he's, you know, on Nolan, he said, um, he said that he wasn't willing to bring down the assembly because he was getting positive messages from the Secretary of State over um, what would happen with the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. So he didn't feel like it, it was something that he needed to do to make those sorts of threats. Whereas the Shinners are saying, oh, if we don't get Irish Language Act, Act we're going to bring down the assembly. So 
Um, but you know, in time, I, I, I think that Puts probably would have used that threat if he if he'd stayed in post long enough, and if uh, the Secretary of State went back on those, you know, on those sort of assurances that he'd given. So again, I don't think that there's going to be too much difference in 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 that sort of regard. Um, Donaldson probably has more allies in Westminster as well. So whenever he comes back to the Assembly, he'll have those Westminster allies. But even in Donaldson coming back, you know, there's there's members of the DUP who left because Putz was elected who are now returning to the DUP. So um, I don't think policy-wise things will change very much. I think there is a very real chance that the Assembly will collapse. I, I, like, I honestly do think that because both parties now are at a point where they don't actually use Stormont anymore, this is this is one of the things that's happened. It's it started happening more and more often. It happened over RHI. Stormont was collapsed for three years or two and a half years, whatever it was. They only came back basically like a few months before the lo- the lockdown started. So it's a tactic that's being used more and more often. It's not that they'll debate things in the assembly and then try to get things passed there. It, they the, the two main parties now, the DUP and Sinn Féin, are now reaching a point where they're going, ah, oh, well, if we don't get this, fuck you, we're bringing this place down. And that's now the tactic that's being used more and more often. So because that's a tactic that's being used, Stormont itself, as a governing body for Northern Ireland, isn't really fit for purpose. Because you have like 90-odd MLAs up there who don't even get to debate these things properly anyway because the two main parties will just say, oh, well, well, fuck you, we'll, we're going to go run to the Secretary of State and if the Secretary of State doesn't do what we're doing, you aren't going to talk about it anyway. So that's where we're at with Stormont. It's, it's, the, it's the irony of um, Sinn Féin's political tactics actually leading to direct rule, which they bloody hated in the first place. But... Um, just just to finally wrap up, you know, we've been talking about the Rainbow Empire as well as the manoeuvrings that's been happening within the DUP and with Sinn Féin's tactics as well. So finally, who who is part of the Rainbow Empire? Who is part of that collective? What do you mean in Northern Ireland? In Northern Ireland and also uh, just uh, generally as well. Well, this is this is the thing. It's it's more a collection of values that go across. The, certainly, the English speaking world, you know, um, and you can you, you really can't see it. You know, it's like that that, that thing. Like, like I'd, I'd seen there was a um, you know, like a, a Black Lives Matter rainbow flag where the there was like a that incorporated that all into it all too. And to me, it's the people that are incredibly intolerant. Well, the followers are really intolerant. It's more, it, it is a very uh, deep-rooted Western thing, possibly a global thing. Again, because there's like a shadowy thing, you can't really, it's very hard to, to say exactly who it is or what it is or whatever. But you can see it, you know, it's like you can sort of, you get you get a sense that there's something there, there's something more behind the scenes going on. Well, I, I will have to correct you, Jamie, there, about 
because I, th I think I know which flag you're on about. It's the rainbow flag, but there's a triangle in it that's got the transgender colours and uh, there's a black colour and a brown colour. Now, what I will say is, when that flag was created, and this was created before the Black Lives Matter movement, it is not a Black Lives Matter symbol in that flag. It is there, yes, to represent race, something that the gay community has actually struggled with, even though a lot of the gay liberation movement started because of a, a black transgender woman. Um, that, that a lot of the, the, the gay community, particularly the Western gay community, struggled with race. So that's why those two colours are incorporated in that flag, but they're not there as a Black Lives Matter symbol. Yeah, fair enough, but... I'll, I'll, I'll put this point to you, right? So we talked about, like, the corporatization of these things. So you have... And this is, again, where you look at where the connections are to see that there's there's something more there, right? So people who are... There are a lot of people out there who would consider themselves very tolerant of other races and other cultures and that sort of thing. But if those people boo the English national team for taking the knee for Black Lives Matter, they're deemed to be racist. Even if they support other anti-racism campaigns. Now, you have FIFA, who everyone knows is probably one of the most corrupt global organisations that exist, right? They're pushing this Black Lives Matter thing. It's up everywhere. You know, it's up all over the, you know, all over the, the stadiums and it's, you know, the, 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 I know that a lot of the um, football associa associations aren't taking the knee, but you have like the FA and um, the English FA, that is. And again, it's more like a, an English speaking thing. But if you have FIFA and the FA and all these organizations that people know to be corrupt and they're supporting these, these movements that you can see you know, I think that these movements are actually increasing racial tensions rather than doing any putting any at ease. So you can see that there's some sort of there's a connection with all that, you know. Um, and generally, generally speaking, I'm not saying everyone. You know, uh, this is the thing. I'm not saying everyone. Generally speaking, the, the same values are held across across different individuals. You see, see again. I, I, I get, it's just a further clarification: is when the players take a knee. It, yes, it has been sparked by the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's not entirely and solely an endorsement of Black Lives Matter. It is a stance against racism, and what a lot of the footballers you might have seen during the Euros is, you know, England do take the knee. But other countries have been pointing towards the uh, on their jersey where it says respect, and it's the respect yeah. uh, campaign by UEFA, I believe. And don't get me wrong, yeah. FIFA, UEFA, rank hypocrites and corrupted, absolutely. And I don't think we need to be looking towards FIFA and UEFA as something that we need to um, base our morals or. Um, values on but uh, what we'll say is the taking of the knee is a stance against racism but it's not an endorsement of Black Lives Matter even though it takes the symbols 
and the gestures from yeah, Mandarin. But it's, but, yeah, but you say this, but it's so closely linked with that and it started as a result of that. You know, that's where the taking, taking the knee came from. It started after Black Lives Matter um, rose to prominence after George Floyd was killed. And that's whenever people start this. That's when people started taking the knee. And that's I don't agree with it. Like I'm like fucking getting on your knees. Like what the fuck's that all about? Fucking get up and sh- have a bit of respect for yourself. You know. Yeah. I, I, like you see them ones. You see, like there's the other teams. I, can't, I think it was like the the Hungarian national team. And I, I can't remember. I'm sure there's a load of them now. I've not not been following the Euros too much. There's been a couple of good games. Like I, I enjoyed uh, watching Scotland torture in England. You know, but. Uh, the best nil nil you'll watch, best nil nil match you'll watch all year, but like the the teams that that point to the respect logo, a hundred percent. You know, I, like fair play them, fair play them all day long. But fucking getting down on your knee, fucking get up off your knees for fuck's sake. What I will say, Jamie, is I know the black. So the Black Lives Matter was always a campaign before the uh, before the murder of George Floyd, um, but actually taking the knee was before the George Floyd murder and it came from American footballers and basketball players taking the knee during the national anthem uh, of the United States national anthem and that's where that symbol and that gesture has come from as a sign of um, whilst this national anthem plays we'll take the knee to show that this is we have this stance we're not going to interrupt it but we're gonna. This is a political act and a political gesture. So it didn't come from George Floyd. It came before that. But but I I'm also very much aware that um, the George Floyd murder exacerbated it and spread this gesture Wait, more widely. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. A couple of points to make. People link the two. People link the taking of the knee with Black Lives Matter. So regardless of the specifics of where it came from that's that's the link that people have made the whenever you say about it started in america this is another thing america has its problems with race and britain has its, the uk has its problems too but they're not the same and in fact they're, they're you know the scale is completely different so Again, this shows that there's a set of values coming from somewhere else that's affecting another place, not necessarily in the same way. Like I look at in Northern Ireland, for example, like whenever I, England's very multicultural, you know, and I found that in England, there, realistically, there wasn't really that, that big of a problem with race, certainly not when I, in the, the, with the people that I was involved with and in the areas that I went to. People were mixing, no problem whatsoever. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, there were pockets and stuff that you, you wouldn't have gone to, but that's because, um, you know, you, you always get this. You know, if you have any sort of mass migration where people aren't integrated properly into society, you are going to get these pockets. And I'm sure that there are pockets of quote-unquote white British people that I wouldn't have seen too much, and it's the same sort of thing. But the problems that exist in the UK are nothing compared to the problems that exist in America. And the amount of cultural exports coming from America is where is the reason why a lot of this a lot of these issues are driven here. When really there doesn't need you know, we have our own problems here. 
We don't need America's problems too. America's a fucking basket case. Like, leave them to do whatever they want to do. So, um, you know, that's that's what I'd say about those two points. Uh, but the, 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 the point, uh, another point is, uh, again, this is sort of, I, I, I know this because I'm an openly bisexual man, so I need to swat up sometimes on queer history. But the um, Stonewall charity that was set up in 1988 against Margaret Thatcher's anti-LGBT legislation, Section 28, came. the name came from the Stonewall Inn in New York. And Stonewall Inn was... There were riots in 1969 between uh, clientels of the establishment, which was a gay bar, and the police. Now, it is often cited that the Stonewall riots were... a catalyst of the gay liberation movement in the UK and across the world. Now, at the time, obviously there was still rampant homophobia in both, but there would have been different types of homophobia in the UK and the US. But because of the the catalyst coming from the Stonewall riots in New York as an inspiration, it inspired a lot of activism in the UK, even though the problems weren't similar. Now, there, there are race problems very clearly in the UK. There still are. Um, I don't have the stats to hand, which is, which is a shame. But even though the problems are not exactly the same, just because the problems do not mirror or are identical to each other, they can still be inspirational to a movement. You don't have to have the same problems, but if you've got the same symbols, the same gestures, the same shared history... And the the, the the shared basic fundamentals of a movement, it does not have to be word for word a mirror image to be inspirational. I know, I, I know, and I know you might see that as maybe perhaps insidious, coming from America, but I believe you can take these symbols, these gestures, these flags, these movements, these speeches, and apply them to your own, and try to develop your own movement and the response to it. Yeah, like I, I, I completely, completely accept what you're saying there. I, I just think that a lot of them, um, because there's a, there are bigger problems, they've been, in America, they've been given more prominence over here than what they should be given. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I think that, you know, certainly if there are inequalities or whatever, you got to deal with them. But... America has a bigger problem with it and the fact that it's being made out that the problems that exist here are as big as America's have actually, you know, I even think in America, like I don't live in America, so all I get is what I, what I see on, you know, the news and things like that. But it seems to me that the racial issues have got worse over time. And even in terms of like, uh, you know, the LGBT stuff, it seems that there's there is less acceptance of that as well because a lot of these things are being forced so much into the public narrative and that's being done at the expense of other things that that should be given more more prominence that have more of an effect on people's day-to-day lives like here's the thing right Okay, so like same-sex marriage, 
everywhere across the UK, I'm pretty sure has it now. Am I right? Yes, it is. Northern Ireland were, were the last in the UK um, to yeah. to get it, and that that was from a, a Westminster intervention than a Stormont's intervention. Yeah. So everywhere, everywhere in the UK has it, right? Now, because you still have you know all this constantly put out there, even though, even though everywhere you know there's like same-sex marriage legislation and all that sort of stuff, there seems to be. It's sort of like people are like, right, okay, it's sorted, right, fucking, we've heard enough, let's just get on with things. So, if you have, for example, like a lockdown, right, how are people going to meet to get married if they can't fucking go to a bar? So, so you have these issues that are being pushed to the top of the agenda. And don't get me wrong, people, you know, lockdowns and stuff are given, given high prominence, but... For a long time, especially, there was an unquestioning. You know, you weren't able to question the lockdowns. So, how free are people to go off and practice whatever sexuality they want if they're not even free to go and congregate in a bar and meet someone? You know what I mean? Like you've got to, you've got to, you've got to ask yourself, where are the freedoms? You know, and is this are we getting like a perceived freedom? Because in reality, things are getting much, much more strict and much more authoritarian. I, what, what I will say is I don't think the lockdown is necessarily anti-LGBT, mate. Um, no, no, here, no, no. I, I don't think it is either. Like, But the lockdown's anti-everything. But, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're straight, gay, fucking don't want to ever ride anyone in your life. It doesn't matter. Like, if you, if you can't go out, you know... If there's this perceived freedom, it's like, oh yeah, we're all free, everyone can get married now and everyone can practice whatever sexuality they like and we're all free. But you can't leave your house and you're only really free to meet people if it's fucking in secret because you're not really supposed to meet people. And you've got to make sure that if you are going to meet them, it's uh, in your back garden with no, no one else except you there and you've got to be two, two metres apart. And make sure you've got a cup of coffee because the virus doesn't fucking uh, affect you if you're eating or drinking. And you, you know what I mean? Like, there's all this bullshit that goes on top of it. So where is the freedom? Yeah. I mean, I was just about to say, we queers will always find a way, even if there is this legislation in place. Um, and here, listen, anyone looking at looking the right's going to find a way. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just as, the way humans are. As we've are. recently found out about Matt Hancock. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the final point I was going to make to you, mate, is that I know you, you were saying that um, when it comes to the race issue and also LGBT issues as well, that even though there are probably bigger problems in the US, just because somewhere else has a bigger problem, and there might be, by that perspective, smaller problems in the UK, you don't stop trying to solve the smaller problem. You still want to solve that problem. Listen, 100%, the point I was making is it's all about the amount of attention you give something. So, and that's that's where I'm coming at. Let me just ask you a question, Dan, before we finish up here. Can you be gay, lesbian, bisexual or trans and not be part of the LGBT community? Um, yes, I suppose so. Um if you want to reject being part of that community, that's absolutely fine. Um, 
I think by definition, if you are those things, that you are kind of automatically part of the community, but also you can refuse to interact or engage that community. So it's it's just the reason they ask. It seems like it's a it's almost like a again it's like a it's like a question of language. You know, it's one of these things where instead of just saying, "Oh, you know, I'm gay or I'm bisexual or I'm trans or whatever it is." people are almost by by way of language are forced into a community rather than being an individual who has that sexuality they are then part of this community and communities by definition have shared sets of values so that's why I was wondering what you thought about that what I, what I think I'll, I'll make a very quick point here is that you, you're absolutely absolutely right language does make a huge difference so I suppose it's the difference between demographic versus community. Because if you are a lesbian, guy, gay, bisexual, etc., that that means you're part of that demographic because that's just a, the fact of life is you are one of those things. But you can refuse to be part of the community. And the community Fair is enough. where you might have the shared values. Um and I've said, I said this on my radio show, on the last uh, radio show I did, on Reform Radio, Coalition of Chaos, shameless plug. <laughs> I look forward to the day when my sexuality is the least interesting thing about me. And I look forward to the day where there doesn't have to be a community. That, yes, th- there is demographic. Because the only reason the community is there in the first place is to support each other when the bad things and the problems are in place. Because there's not there's not a straight community, is there? Because there doesn't have to be. Yeah, and that that's the thing, you know, that's why I was wondering, can you can you not just have that sexuality and then not be part of that community? I did listen to your, your radio show, by the way, Don, and uh I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I was a bit miffed. I was a bit miffed. Is it because you weren't on it this this time? No, no, I was on it. Um, sure, I did the cryptocurrency piece. Oh, yes, of course you did, yeah. I was miffed because you bumped me off. Uh, I'd asked you, I'd, I put a request in for a Slade song. And you bumped me off for another one about football. Oh, man, I, I am very sorry about that. Um, I will have to... <laughs> obviously corrects that huge error and I will in the next radio show I absolutely will with an on on air apology as well oh here listen no apology necessary just it's a it's a song that I enjoy but I've got I mean I, I am joking like I thought that the song you played was probably much more fitting with the piece that was cut was on you know the guy you had on and again, folks, uh, I know Dan's already shamelessly plugged his, his own radio show. Uh, he does a great show. Um, I was on last week talking about cryptocurrencies because it's Pride Month. Dan was chatting away about some of the Pride stuff we've been talking about today. And he did. He had a great segment for anyone who's a Manchester United fan. is well worth a listen to. Um, what did you call the guy you had on? Uh, Tony Murphy. Anthony Murphy. I he didn't pull any punches like jeez he was giving it both both barrels are against the Glazers. Oh, he, he he's brilliant. He's a good friend of mine as well, uh, Anthony Murphy. He's brilliant. So yeah, do, do uh, check out do check out the latest episodes. 
it was a good it was a good episode, and I, I would uh, I would strongly recommend people giving it a listen. Um, and also, folks, uh, if you if you enjoy the stuff that's on this podcast, uh, the podcast is now going out. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on Anchor, it's on Podcast Addict, anywhere really you want to get your your podcasts. And uh, if you do enjoy the episode and you want a bit more content and a wee bit more about what uh, what sort of things I talk about, you can read the website. It's subversiontherapy.com. If you want to get in touch, the email address is jamie at subversiontherapy.com. And if you enjoy it, make sure you look out for it because the algorithms don't like the swearing. So they're not going to put it put it on your your feed so make sure you subscribe or and you share it around um if you do enjoy things but thanks again dan for being on the show thanks very much listeners for listening uh until next time all the best cheerio